In that passage that we read in Mark chapter 8, which of course is recorded elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus confronted his disciples with the most important issue that faces any man or woman or boy or girl. What is their response going to be to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? As Stanley Park Baptist Church has had it boldly emblazoned across the front of their building for many decades, what think ye of Christ? What would you make of this Jesus? It will have a very significant impact on your life during your earthly existence and it will have an even bigger impact in terms of where you spend eternity. In terms of how becoming a Christian impacts your life, we have to acknowledge that that does to some degree, but only to some degree, depend upon your circumstance. So, for example, if you lived in a very strict Islamic country, becoming a Christian could for you mean almost instant death. In which case, having eternity sorted is a very great blessing, isn't it? For many believers in the West over the last few hundred years, becoming a Christian often didn't really bring those things that we would really classify as persecution. Maybe those of us who can remember not quite so difficult days as the way things are becoming. Some of us can remember maybe a little bit of teasing and leg pulling, being thought of as being a little bit eccentric maybe, Um, taking religion a bit too seriously, but very often not much more than that. That was about as bad as it got in terms of opposition, but times most certainly are changing, aren't they? Now, having said that, of course, anyone who becomes a Christian in any circumstance should become aware of many changes that start to take effect. As one who has now been reconciled to God, one who is seeking to serve and follow Christ, and in doing so, seeking now to live a life that is pleasing to God, and above everything else, seeks his glory that has to mean that things change. Things can't stay the same. No matter where you were, no matter what your background was, whatever your circumstances or situation was, if you come to Christ in repentance and faith, things change. They have to. Character and conduct change. Affections and desires change. Priorities and ambitions change. Lifestyles and habits change, or at least they ought to. Now, it is true to say that in some ways we remain the same people. So, we retain most of our basic quirks of personality, for better or worse. Physically, 
Largely speaking, we look and sound the same. We live in the same houses, go to the same schools, work at the same jobs, for the most part, shop at the same shops and eat the same food. Yet although our friends and neighbours and colleagues can see that in those kinds of aspects we are just like them, at the same time they ought to be able to tell straight away that we most definitely, we most definitely are not the same. There is something about us even with all of those things that we share in common with them, there is clearly something about us that we don't share in common with them. That should be clear to people. And in that sense, the lives of Christians ought to be a bit of a conundrum to unbelievers. Or actually, maybe they ought to be a lot of a conundrum to unbelievers. You are just like us. But you're not. There is obviously something very different about you. And what is it that determines just how much you or I might change when we come to Christ? What is it that might determine how much effect the gospel has upon our lives well there's quite a few things that could be brought forward as an answer to that but a very significant part of it will be this issue that Jesus put before his disciples in Mark chapter 8 how much we grasp for ourselves the full consequences of realizing that Jesus is the Christ and what it means to go after him. People in this world are going after all kinds of things. But we are those who are to be going after Christ above everything else. So, first of all, let's just think about this. Realising that Jesus is the Christ. Why is that so important? Why did Jesus push it with his disciples? We need to realise that Christianity is far more than a system of belief. For some Christians, that can be the most important part. A belief system which gives you a standpoint from which you view the world and from which you argue your case with others. Now that is part of it, but there's much more to it than that. That is part of it, having a system of belief, but it's not the most important part. As much as I love doctrine, and as much as I think doctrine is important, there's something more important. If you're someone who's made your system of belief the most important thing then as they might say in the skiing world you've gone off piste and you need to come back to the main place the full consequences of really realizing that Jesus is the Christ also means that your faith is more than a mere association with a certain group of people. 
Now it is that. But it needs to be so much more than that. Church, for some, can just be another type of club or association. A place where you feel like you fit in with like-minded people. Well, I hope you do. That's part of it for sure. But there has to be something deeper than that. The full consequence of realising that Jesus is the Christ means that your faith is more than adopting a form of lifestyle. Some religions demand it. And a Christian lifestyle can indeed be an important and significant part of your testimony. But as we were reminded this morning, our faith has to be more than merely doing certain things in a certain way. It has to be more than that. And of course, systems of belief, associating with like-minded people, living a certain lifestyle... There are plenty of options out there besides Christianity that offer those kinds of things. The whole issue of the Christian faith, you see, boils down to that question that Jesus put to his disciples that day. What do people make of one particular man? Who do you say that Jesus is? That's at the nub of everything. And on the basis of that answer, what now is your relationship to and with him? Because that's the foundation of it all, isn't it? Having a relationship with the one who is the Christ. This man from Nazareth, declares Peter, is the Christ And we know from other portions of scripture, Jesus says to him, you haven't worked this out for yourself. This isn't the work of flesh and blood. The Holy Spirit's been at work in you, Peter, for you to make this kind of declaration. He's the Messiah. He is God. And he's come from God. He is the anointed and appointed one spoken of and promised all through the Old Testament. He is the one who is the fulfilment of the salvation long promised through the Old Testament scriptures. He is the one who will bruise the serpent's head in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. He is Job's redeemer who ever lives. He is the one who will shed blood and finally and satisfactorily pay the penalty for the sins of the world that all the bloodshed in Old Old Testament sacrifice points towards. He is the one, as we thought about the other week with the children, he is the one prefigured in the bronze serpent raised up on the pole in Numbers chapter 21 that the people would look up to for healing It's by looking up to the crucified Christ that we are healed of all of our sins. He is the one pictured being crucified in Psalm 22. He is the one 
through whom the requests of David in Psalm 51 for forgiveness and cleansing of sin will be accomplished. He will be Isaiah's man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, wounded for our transgressions, by whose stripes we are healed. He is Jeremiah's, the Lord, our righteousness. He is Daniel's son of man, to whom is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him in an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. Now, I could carry on with these all evening. Do you get the picture? <coughs> Peter said of Jesus, you, you are the Christ. You are the one. And you could go back through all of those Old Testament scriptures. It's him, it's him, it's him. You are the Christ. This Jesus is the beating pulse of the Christian faith. Trust and belief, not in a system of doctrine, but in Him. Following and serving Him. Loving and obeying Him. And this is the work of God's Spirit to bring us to this position. You are the Christ. Have you acknowledged this Jesus to be God's Christ? The only one who can save you from your sins. The one who is God. The only one who is worthy. The one who you have been called to follow and to love, and to serve. If you haven't dealt with this issue, you haven't even begun. No matter what else you may have, realizing that Jesus is the Christ. So let me ask you a question, secondly, of what are you most mindful? Now, most of you at any time, in any point of any day, will have 101, 1,001 things running around your heads and occupying your time. Of what are you most mindful? What is it that stays right at the top of the pile all the time? It's easy to know all of these things, but still put your beloved belief system or your little church club or your comfy lifestyle at the top of the tree. But is the fact that Jesus is the Christ the thing that stays uppermost in your mind and in your heart and in your soul? There's only one person who can occupy that uppermost part of our thoughts. And that's this man who is Jesus, the Son of God. 
Now Peter, after Jesus had started to speak of his death and resurrection, Jesus, you see, was drawn to one side by Peter. No, 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 said Peter to Jesus. We don't want to make it all about that. That's not how things need to be done. That's not how it ought to be, thought Peter. That's not what it's going to be all about. And he, Peter has the audacity to rebuke Jesus. And what a stinging rebuke Jesus brings to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. I can't actually think of a stronger thing that Jesus said to anyone that's recorded anywhere in the Gospels. Get behind me, Satan. This is the disciple who Jesus is going to say, you're the rock. This is going to be the guy who's going to be one of the leading figures in the early church. Get behind me, Satan. You see, if you are not making your priority the thing that God says is the priority... This is the rebuke that you get from Christ. That which God has made the uppermost thing has to remain the uppermost thing. If you're not following God's design for salvation in the death and resurrection of Christ, Jesus says, actually, you're going the way of Satan. Strong language. But Jesus doesn't offer any middle, neutral ground. If you're not going my way, if you're not following the priorities that I am establishing, then you're going the way of Satan. It's very strong, isn't it? What are those things that we're most mindful of? in our minds when we think of our faith and as we think of church and as we think of what it means to be a Christian are those things which God says are to be the uppermost things are they in our own minds and in our own uh, way of thinking it all boils down to you truly and meaningfully understanding and acknowledging who this Jesus is the Messiah of God, the one who must lay down his life, the one who must suffer, the one who will be raised again three days later. And on the basis of that, making life choices, making life choices which demonstrate that you've got it, you've got it, and that he's got you. You understand it's all about this Jesus who is the Christ. He has to be the most central thing. He is the one who must remain uppermost in my own mind and understanding. And it has to be the way he has revealed himself. The way he has made himself known. We can't be doing a Peter. No, 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 you don't want to be doing it that way. This is the key issue for us, remaining mindful of this central hub of our faith. The Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, why he came, 
and what my response to him must be. And here's the question, thirdly, that every Christian needs to keep asking continually. Is my desire, my desire to go after Christ? Is your desire to go after Christ? Because that's the language that Jesus uses when he's speaking to his disciples. Whoever desires, your heart is burning within you on this issue. To come after me. This is the language that Jesus uses. You'll be glad to know it's not about doing something because the elders keep mentioning it. If the elders do keep mentioning something and it's from the Bible, you should be taking notice. But that's not your reason for doing it. Your reason for doing it is that you desire to go after Christ. Is your desire to go after Christ, is that your overwhelming passion and motive in life? To go after Christ. Does that exceed and overthrow all other desires? Because there are other desires that you can have. There are other desires that are legitimate. But is this the chief one? Is that desire so strong that you will gladly and actively abandon any other thing? Simply because your desire for those things is so poor in comparison to your desire for going after Christ. There's no hand-wringing, dithering, oh, let me stop and think about this for a minute. If you gave me a choice between spending a day at the Trafford Centre or going to an air show, I wouldn't have to stop and think about it you would get an instant answer. The air show, please. Why? Well, there's a certain level of desire within me. There's a certain level of desire about spending a day at the Trafford Centre, and there's a certain level of desire about spending a day at an air show. And the one doesn't compare to the other. There is no contest. I wouldn't have to pause and think about it. Because the desire that's within me would immediately make the choice. Now it ought to be like that for us as Christians in terms of our desire for Christ. There are so many things that should instantly, well the answer is obvious to that one. The answer is obvious to that one. The answer is obvious to that one. Because whilst those things may occupy a certain level of desire down here... My desire to go after Christ is so much bigger. There's no choice. There's no argument. There's no, mm, let me think about this. It's just there.
So, for example, for myself, don't often use myself as an example. It's not always good to talk about yourself. But for, my for myself, I don't get to many air shows nowadays, but you don't need to feel sorry for me. Most of them are quite a distance away. And many of them now are on Sundays. But, you know, I have discovered and learned, sometimes far more slowly than I should have done, discovered and learned to focus on Christ, to make him my desire, to make the things that please him my desire, so that amazingly, my desire, even for air shows, has come down and down and down on the scale. So that for me, the decision and the realisation that that air shows out because it's on a Sunday and that air shows out on a Sunday just isn't an issue anymore. It just isn't. It doesn't worry me. It doesn't bother me. I don't lose any sleep over it. Now, I didn't come to that position immediately, but I come to that position. And I'm sure many of you can think of other things and say a similar kind of thing. Yeah, I had that thing. It used to be big in my life. It's tiny, tiny by comparison now. Because God has changed completely my desires. And Jesus talks about our desire to go after him. Remember that book that caused a bit of a stir a few years back that Stuart Olliott uh, brought out? Something that should be known and felt. That's desire. Of course... It's Christ himself who produces this in you. We, we can't manufacture this within ourselves, so we take no credit for it. This is the work of God within us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. This is part of that sanctifying work that Christ continues to do in the life of every Christian. So what is your desire? Where do your desires lie? As Christians... We expose our desires. We don't always realise this. We're, we're a, bit, a bit slow on the uptake sometimes. We expose our real desires by the choices that we consistently make. And others can see where our real desires lie by the choices that we consistently make. Is your desire to go after Christ and is your desire to go after him after him to be with him well for one thing that's, that means spending time in the word and in prayer because that's how you commune with him that's how you learn of him to learn from his example and follow him to listen eagerly to everything that he says in his word and to live in obedience to it is to go after him, to heed all of his warnings and to obey all of his commands because of the love that you have in your heart for him is to go after him, to surrender your own plans and ambitions in order that you can faithfully follow his is to go after him, to allow his word to examine your life and to change you is to go after him. 
And is your desire to go after him? To walk in his footsteps. He went to the cross. So you, he says, must carry yours. He embraced and endured suffering for you. So you are happy to do likewise. Because you're going after him. Now when he talks about taking up your cross. He's not talking about all the general trials that come upon all of mankind. He's talking about those things which are exclusive to Christians because you're a Christian. Those trials that you will face because you're going after him. Because you have that desire within you. You will carry your cross, whatever that means. Denying yourself in order that you might go after him. They're the things that you take up and carry because you're a Christian and for no other reason. These are the things that you suffer because you're a Christian and for no other reason. Your desire is for the cause of Christ. And so you choose to walk that path which means that you might end up losing everything for Christ. So be it. My desire for those things is nothing compared to my desire for him. And you abandon your agenda because you're following his agenda. This is what Christ wants from me. I'm following him. You take your stand in this wicked world which is at war against God and at war against his truth and at war against his people. And you do so no matter what the consequences might be because your eyes are fixed upon a glorious eternity with him. There are Christians losing their jobs right now in the UK because they're taking up their cross, they're denying themselves and they're following Christ. And even though they know that their job is under threat, they continue to carry that cross, they continue to deny themselves, and they continue to follow Christ. Are you ready to join them? If that's what it means for you to be faithful to Christ. No cowardly compromises. Are you ready to stand alongside church members who in the future might face them, face, find themselves facing the loss of employment and you're going to encourage them, don't give up. Stand firm. Even though you can see with them where it may be leading. Or would yours be the voice saying to them, oh, you can't be putting yourself at risk for your job. What about your wife and children? Would that be your voice? A voice urging them to compromise in their ear. Would you be coming to the elders saying, do we have to be so rigid that they're going to lose their job? Can we not relax things a little bit? Can't you do something? But what about Christ? What about Christ? 
is your desire to go after him, no matter the cost. That's the question. And that's the issue. If you truly belong to Christ, you will go after him. Because you value him. And you value your own soul far more highly than all of the things that you have here on earth, which are all going to perish anyway. It's all going to burn. You have two choices. Jesus talks about this towards the end. Verse 38. You have two choices. You can be on the receiving end of the world's scorn for a short time while you look forward to the welcoming smile of Christ in eternity. That's choice number one. Or you can cave in here in the world. You can give up going after Christ here in the world only to discover that Christ is ashamed of you for all eternity. Scorn from the world for a short time or the scorn of Christ for all eternity. What a choice. I think many Christians, when they get to verses 34 to 37, deny yourself, take up your cross, losing your life for the sake of Christ. We very quickly skip over that opening little phrase, whoever desires to come after me. But actually, that's the place where you ought to pause, which is why we have. You see, don't just skip over those opening words and then just try to get stuck into taking up your cross and trying to deny yourself and seeing it as a huge and burdensome thing that weighs you down. A, a massive hurdle that has to be overcome. A huge mountain to climb, the summit of which you cannot see, that you now have to begin to start climbing. But actually, you see, if you pause and reflect upon what is your heart's desire and get that sorted so that your love for Christ is your greatest love, once you've decided that going after Christ is the most rational, obvious, sensible, life-affirming, decision-fulfilling thing you'll ever do as a believer, once you've come to the position that going after him is the deepest longing of your soul and the highest and most glorious calling that any man or woman could ever receive... And when you realize that all of this is only possible because he first loved you and gave himself for you, once you've done all that, once you've dealt with that first opening phrase, which of course is all the result of the working of his spirit within you, once you've done that, once you've got to grips with that opening phrase from Christ, whoever desires to come after me. You'll discover that it's actually the most natural thing in the world for any Christian to do.
It's the most reasonable response of the heart. And it's the least you can do for the Savior who loved you and gave himself for you. And you'll have discovered what Jesus meant having promised all kinds of difficulties and persecutions for his followers when he told them that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because the desire of your heart is to go after him. Because if Jesus is the Christ, and if he's the Christ in your heart, your soul, your mind, that changes everything. Our gracious God and Father, we have the words of our Saviour ringing in our ears and our plea is simply this, that the great desire of our hearts will be that we go after Christ in everything for his glory, for his sake, and for his praise. That it will be to us as nothing to make that choice. Because everything else in this world has indeed grown strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, do this work in each one of us, we pray. For Christ's sake. Amen.